This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate and Hancock. Welcome to High Stakes, I'm David Schifrin. We recently teamed up with our friends at the Chartist Group to produce a white paper on the effect the pandemic has had on our mental health and then use some principles derived from the behavioral health field to help patients, society at large, and even healthcare workers themselves deal with the anxiety the past year has created. You can find out more about that white paper by going to gerardinc.com slash safe to return. So in this conversation, we're just going to dig into some of those issues and the solutions that healthcare leaders can apply today. Uh, so we'll keep the intro short. I'm going to turn it over to one of our founding partners and our chief innovation officer, Molly Kate, to kind of set the stage and lead the conversation. Thanks, David. As David said, my name is Molly Kate, and I'm really excited to be here today to talk a little bit about and explore sort of a lesser talked about COVID-19 subject, and that's anxiety. So in our work with healthcare leaders across the country, anxiety is having a, a deep and profound impact on the the morale of their workforce, on the buying decisions of their patient population, and nearly every aspect of their business and operations. To give a little bit of context here, if we spin out to a national level, uh, there's studies that show as much as 35 million people, that's about 10% of the population, could develop a new behavioral health condition due to the pandemic. In late April, one in, one in four American adults met the criteria that psychologists use to diagnose serious mental illness and distress. That's about a 700% increase from pre-pandemic data collected in 2018. With that national perspective in mind, we wanted to zoom into the healthcare industry. Uh, here, we're dealing with the most recent and kind of latest development in the COVID pandemic, and that's vaccines. There's numerous surveys, for example, ours included, that show there's a significant skepticism around the vaccines among healthcare workers. A third or more of healthcare workers don't want the vaccine. So we can see that anxiety bubbling up in the healthcare industry as well. So perplexed by this challenge of, of leading through a strange time, providing healthcare through a strange time, and now distributing a, a vaccine, we thought who better to turn to to understand anxiety than two physicians who've been uh, clinically treating this disorder and also building successful mental health programs for health systems for most of, those, most of their careers. So I'm joined today uh, by Dr. Mark Winokur of the Chartist Group and Dr. Danny Mendoza with Beth Israel Leahy Health System. Molly, uh, thanks so much for the summary also of the challenging time that we as a society and our healthcare organizations are facing with the pandemic. I'm a primary care internist by training and practice. And for the last six years, I've been a partner with the Chartist Group, which is a, health, a national uh, healthcare consulting firm. I also lead our behavioral health consulting practice. While much of the initial focus on addressing the pandemic was on preventing the spread of disease and creating capacity to care for patients with the virus, it became clear from very early on that we needed to address the behavioral health impact of COVID-19. What was not anticipated was how concerns about contracting the virus influenced decisions about getting needed care. As Molly noted, on top of that, there's been an overall impact on mental health across society due to the to the stress and isolation from the pandemic. In speaking with my colleague, Dr. Danny Mendoza, a psychiatrist and leader in the field of behavioral health integration, he noted this in his practice. And as we reviewed the organizational efforts to bring patients back to care, we realized that there was something missing in the communication with patients and staff to allay that fear and anxiety. So before proceeding, I'd like to ask Danny, Dr. Mendoza, to introduce himself and also to provide some additional perspective 
about what he's seen in his practice. Thank you, Mark, for that very nice summary, and Molly as well for painting the picture. I'm, I was trained to be a consultation liaison psychiatrist, and that essentially entailed being trained to deal with various neuropsychiatric syndromes happening to patients with medical or surgical issues. In addition to that, I am also an addiction psychiatrist and neuropsychiatrist. Currently, I'm running psychiatry for the three community hospitals of the BI, and I work at the system level and try to come up with interventions that might potentially help our populations. So what I'm finding out with the advent of the pandemic is that the sense of urgency and desperation is heightened for many of the patients that, that are presenting to the hospital. In May or June of 2020, I was asked to see this lady who was admitted to critical care at one of the BI community hospitals, and she was in heart failure. And when she was breathing a little better, I saw her and she spoke of having a reasonable income from working as a waitress before the pandemic. Unfortunately, she lost her job when the restaurant business collapsed. She started drinking to self-medicate boredom and insomnia. And her anxiety level increased dramatically. She did not have any health insurance and she started missing her primary care appointments. She was admitted to the hospital because she developed severe fatigue, shortage of breath, and leg swelling, and was found to have heart failure from an uncontrolled hypertension. She had protein calorie malnutrition because she was just drinking and not eating, and she had ultimately developed alcoholic hepatitis. Where well, I'm beginning to see more and more of those cases, and unfortunately, a lot of them, at least in the summer of 2020, were in the setting of people being terrified to go to the hospitals or to the emergency departments. Uh, yeah, let's let's start with that conversation. You know, Mark and, and Danny, I would really love your perspective on how this pandemic is is different. You know, I think in healthcare we're we're all equipped and operating in times of, of change and challenge. Our industry is constantly evolving and particularly behavioral health is an in, is a subsection of healthcare that is under sort of a continual evolution obviously it's been rising in importance in our society and i think you know this pandemic has has put it further in the spotlight and in dr mendoza your story that you just shared is a classic example of things that you know we're hearing more and more things like that each day and sort of the mental toll psychological toll that, that the pandemic has so we'd love to start with you mark and just talking about how this pandemic is different than maybe Things like 9-11, for example, which have been bellwether events that have changed our, our society and our world going forward, or just the normal associated challenges in healthcare. Yes, Molly, this is unique. The impact of the pandemic on people's decision to seek care is really fundamentally different than what we've seen with other recent crises, such as 9-11 or the Great Recession. In those situations, decline in the use of medical services was really primarily economically driven. People who lost their jobs and or health insurance could not afford to get health care. And while, as Danny noted, loss of insurance coverage does play a role with the pandemic and will likely worsen without government intervention, but patients, even patients with adequate insurance, are making similar decisions about delaying care. 
They can afford care, but they're avoiding it due to worries about contracting COVID-19 if they go to the doctor's office or an emergency department or need to be admitted to the hospital. So this is very different. And for you, Danny, what does our nation and our healthcare system need to know about anxiety and its impact on, on medical conditions? Would love to hear from you with a clinical perspective about what healthcare leaders need to know about, you know, the role of anxiety and in patient decisions regarding the importance of seeking care. If I if I may, I just wanted to follow up on something that Mark said about the difference with the pandemic compared to 9-11. One of the issues about the pandemic is it's an ongoing stressor, and it does it's it's not alleviating in any way. With nine eleven, people were able to mobilize and and come up against one enemy. With the pandemic, there's a lot of misinformation. There's been politicization of the pandemic. This leads to a lot of uncertainty. This leads to a lot of unawareness of what really is going on and and if i can segue those are essentially prime culprits in the propagation and worsening of anxiety levels in the country and there already is a wealth of research that demonstrates the impact of behavioral health conditions on medical conditions that preceded the pandemic you know we know that people with depression have an increased risk of chronic conditions and behavioral health conditions can make it even more challenging for patients to care for themselves and seek care for their medical conditions. The flip side is also true. Behavioral health conditions makes it incredibly difficult for physicians and nurses to take care of these patients. And when we evaluated a list of the most expensive patients in the hospital, we found out that these are patients with psychosocial issues. Unfortunately, again, this is the type of patient that will overutilize the emergency department for routine care. And this obviously will lead to significantly higher cost of taking care of those patients. The other situation that can make the experience very difficult for both patient and provider is a lot of their presentations are colored by behavioral health co complications that can lead to potentially suboptimal delivery of care. As a result, it's not just our patients who are experiencing anxiety and fear related to the pandemic. The pandemic itself is, and the way it's being managed is accelerating this anxiety. And now it's starting to affect the caregivers. Um, yeah, I just want to weigh in on that a little bit there. You know, we are seeing that as well. And you brought about something I think that's a, a valid point, if I wanted to just call it out, is that, you know, there's no end in sight to this, right? And, and Mark, you touched upon this as well. So the endurance associated with the pandemic and the, the long-term toll of these things, I think is something we really have to, to keep in mind. And, you know, there's the employee piece and the caregiver piece just certainly in our work with healthcare systems across the country in the inpatient and outpatient setting, both are seeing that. And so, you know, a big buzzword that we hear a lot about is resiliency. How do we increase resiliency among employees, um, among physicians, among caregivers? That has now become a, a point of focus. And so I don't know what will be next, but I know that this will be something we all have to keep working at for, for the next several months. 
Okay, Mark, I'm going to hand it back over uh, to you and just if you could talk a little bit about the this emotional tension of the moment and how it's impacting organizations and, and what you're seeing in your work. The frustrating part, Molly, for healthcare leaders is that they've invested a significant amount of resources and time to minimize exposure for both workers and patients. But that hasn't been enough to allay the anxiety and fear and to recover the pre-pandemic volume. In a conversation that I had with one of my clients recently, in fact, he noted, uh, it turns out that his hospital owns an ambulance service and they were reporting an alarming rate of patients literally dying at home because they were too scared to go to the ED or call their doctor. Unprecedented, never seen that before. And this was before the, the most recent pandemic wave hit his region. I actually heard that this is the situation is even worse. So we're also seeing challenges that healthcare leaders are facing to convince their own workforce that it's safe to come to work due to the worry in it about their own health and that of their families and patients. So health leaders really need to also focus their time and energy on supporting their staff and providers through this process. If we could, I'd love to uh, switch topics a little bit and kind of get into some of the, the meat of the white paper. And Danny, I'd love to kick this over to you and just get your opinion on, you know, given all of the work that's gone into to making the delivery setting and environment feel as safe as possible. We've seen a lot of different techniques being used here. But overall, I think a lot of the research shows that, you know, people still don't feel safe going back into the system. So despite all this effort, why do you think it hasn't convinced enough patients that it's safe to return? There's a lot of misinformation that, that's floating around. I, I think that the last year has, unfortunately, in the setting of the election year, made it difficult to come up with a common message that's consistent across the board. And, and, and unfortunately, this is affecting not just the general population, but some medical staff as well, including physicians. So, so, so clearly messaging is important. The, the other thing that's critical is, is in order to manage anxiety, you need to break it down into something that is manageable and tangible. And, and I, I, I like to refer it as converting anxiety into fear, fear being something that you can describe, you can touch, you can talk about. But one of the ways that you can handle that is, is to first create what we call a holding environment for, for staff and patients, which is to allow them a chance to vent, so that we can validate that they're not alone, that the other other people are suffering the same way they are. And, go, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, the ongoing onslaught of this pandemic is, is something that is exhausting. There is There seems to be no break for the provider. Right now, our supply lines are stretched and thin. And, and this is what is, compounding the anxiety that's happening. So there is light at the end of the tunnel, though. I, I think that the advent of the vaccine has been helpful and hopeful. I think locally, hospital leadership is doing their best to communicate in very clear and candid manner what is happening what to expect, which is another way to anticipate, to decrease anxiety, anticipation, using real 
information using data and using evidence to support decision making. So those are some of the things that I think can help decrease anxiety levels. Thank you. That's very helpful. So let me ask this, Mark, with those pieces of, of advice in mind, you know, as someone that's working with health, health systems across the country, what do you think are going to be the greatest challenges in implementing some of Danny's recommendations? This is going to take time. This isn't a one-shot PSA announcement. This is going to take time and it's going to take some resources to develop a staged communication. The other piece of this is that we have to figure out who are the best people to communicate this information, both at a kind of a a more macro level, who are the the healthcare leaders who are respected and trusted? I think Dr. Fauci comes to mind. And then at a clinical level, who are the best people to communicate with patients? It may not be the physician. It may be the medical assistant or the front desk staff who's known that the patient and, and, uh, and maybe is part of their same culture and understands their language. So I think that's another important piece of this is to, is, is to figure that out. Uh, but it is going to take a strategy, um, a plan around how you develop the message, as Danny said before, create that holding environment, enable people to, to share their experiences and their concerns, and then slowly introduce information that they can process, accept, and integrate so that they can feel comfortable coming back to care. One of the biggest missing pieces right now is the delivery of a consistent message, as well as the overabundance of mixed messages. This has led to a profound lack of trust, and and this has been very detrimental to the morale of healthcare providers. I think, as Mark had alluded to, appointing respected leaders would be the first step. Mark's point about appointing people who understand the culture would be critical. My concern about vaccine administration is, is that there are many people who would rather not get the vaccine for all, all sorts of reasons that don't seem to make sense, but to them does. So in order to effectively build the trust, we need to have consistent, repeated messaging on a regular basis by people that understand certain segments of the population. And, and, and this will have to be individualized. So it's it's not a one-size-fits-all intervention. Both of you have touched on topics that we talk about a lot at our firm, which are the importance of a centralized and a consistent and a single message and the repetition mm-hmm. of that, as well yeah. as the importance of the messenger. You know, so no offense to both of you, but physicians, for example, are a group of constituents that we work with a lot, and they typically are more likely to trust another physician or a fellow physician Whereas, you know, if you want to go talk to frontline caregivers, nurses, for example, you know, they, they trust someone different in their organizations. So I really applaud both of you as someone who's passionate about communications. I applaud both of you for, for you know, talking about those topics because I think it is, it's important and it's something that when we're not in a pandemic and we aren't as focused on communications as a, at a strategic level like we are now, 
it's easy to let those those things go. So, you know, I think it's great advice that both of you, you know, brought to this conversation today and into the white paper from a clinical perspective. Mark, any closing comments from your end? No, I, I think that I, I want to just also reiterate that what we're, even prior to the pandemic, the ability for our society to be able to address the behavioral health needs of its population was challenged, significantly challenged. The pandemic has made it worse. And finding ways of building capability within the healthcare system, the collaborative care model, which is increasingly being adopted by primary care practices to be able to offer behavioral health services through primary care with the support of people who uh, have expertise in behavioral health care but work side by side with the primary care physicians. I think it's going to be a critical element of addressing some of, of this unmet demand. So I, I would I think that that and other strategies that we need to focus on and building capability to be able to address um, not only the the pre-existing challenges but what's what's been added by the pandemic. Yeah, so to end on a positive note, maybe if there's one good thing that comes out of the of the pandemic, it's a you know, I know the stigma associated with mental health has has plagued the industry for a long time. So maybe a, a greater understanding of and appreciation for behavioral health and its impact on our, our fellow citizens will be a good thing to come out of this. If we could carry that forward with us, that that to me would be uh, something I think that goes a long way toward making sure people get the care they need around those issues.